Greetings, future fans. It's a new week, and there are some new movies. In fact, there are 16 new movies this week. We have a lot of crap, but a couple really good-looking ones as well. And I will help you filter through that junk. It's the week of April 7th, and this is Future Flicks with Billion. Well, welcome, everyone. This is Future Flicks, like I said, and I am your host, Billiam. This is episode 37, and let me give you some information on what it is I do here, just in case you're new. In Future Flicks, I go over every movie that's being released during the week. I tell you what it's about, who's in it, and my thoughts on it. I will give the movie a score, which I call the Billiam's Interest Level Score, aka the Bill Score, This score is only based on the trailer and anything I've read about the movie. So let's start this episode with some housekeeping. You can find me on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, Tumblr, and any podcast listening app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That's www.somewhatnerdy.com. You can reach me on Twitter at BilliamSWN and email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. Do you want to see pictures of my cat? Well, follow me on Instagram, at BilliamSWN there as well. I swear there are other things than just my cat, but that just seems to be what gets the most likes. So I tried to keep the masses happy. But no more dawdling. Let's get on with the show, because we have a long one for you this week. Our first segment, as always, is the news. So according to The Nerdist's Kyle Anderson, six Hayao Miyazaki movies are returning to theaters this year. This is going to be a Fathom event where they're pairing up with G-Kids. This is all starting in June. The dates are as follows. June 25th and 26th, My Neighbor Totoro. July 23rd and 24th, Kiki's Delivery Service. August 27th and 28th, Castle in the Sky. September 24th and 25th, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. October 29th and 30th, Spirited Away. November 26th and 27th, Howl's Moving Castle. And as some sort of crime against humanity, Princess Mononoke is not on that list. But if you want the full article, you can find it in the show notes. Warner Brothers Studios is facing a $900 million lawsuit over the Conjuring franchise. Gerald Brittle author of a book called The Demonologist from 1980, says that the Warrens were in agreement with him that they signed a no-competing-work provision that is still in effect today. Warner Brothers says that Lorraine Warren gave them permission to make the movies, but Brittle says the permission wasn't hers to give. It's really weird that she couldn't give permission for her own story. That's why the law is kind of in cases like this. Of course, back in the 80s, they probably thought that no one would want to make movies of their stories, so they thought, okay, we'll sign this non-complete clause, who cares? All this was according to Hollywood Reporter. According to IGN, Jeremy Renner has passed on the next Mission Impossible movie so he can appear in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Those aren't two different movies, mind you, that's the name of the sequel to Ant-Man. The official poster for Kingsman, The Golden Circle came out, so give it a look when you have time. In this sequel, the plot revolves around the Kingsmen headquarters being blown up and them having to team up with a secret agency from America called The Statesman. Variety reported that Joss Whedon has signed on to direct a solo Batgirl film. So Joss Whedon doing a superhero movie with a female lead? That sounds really interesting. It's a DC movie though. That sounds less interesting. 
We'll see how things go. I doubt Joss Whedon would have signed on if Warner Brothers was allowed to boss him around, but we'll really see where this ends up. Screen Rant reports that the live-action Mulan movie, which is currently in development, will still include music. That is, of course, singing music, because almost every movie has music in it. So the first report about this movie said that it's going to be a female-focused action film, and now it will have music? All right, sign me up. I'm listening. According to Deadline, The Secret Life of Pets was the most valuable blockbuster of 2016. It didn't gross the most amount of money, but when production costs and the post-theater revenue, streaming, Blu-ray, DVD, came into play, The Secret Life of Pets made out the most. Last weekend, Numbers told an interesting story. The blockbuster Ghost in the Shell bombed with a pitiful $19 million. That's a $19 million opening weekend off a $110 million budget. And remember, folks, usually the opening weekend is the biggest for these movies, unless it's in the case of movies like La La Land and Moonlight, where word of mouth makes them explode. This doesn't seem like it's going to be one of those movies. First place this weekend was another shock. The Boss Baby took the weekend and outperformed expectations with an impressive $60 million. What really surprised me with this box office weekend numbers was that Get Out was still on the list in seventh place, and it's in the its sixth week. It's grossed a total of $156 million off a budget of $4.5 million. I wouldn't be surprised if studios start throwing money at Jordan Peele. Though, good news is he already has more movies planned. That's it for the news, folks. Let's move on to the newest segment, which is called Blazing Trailers. And I do acknowledge that it, it <laughs> upon further review, it's not the most unique of names, so it may change down the line, but for now, we're calling it Blazing Trailers. So the trailer for It came out last week, and my God, it looks amazing. Check it out. This is going to be a great film. Well, either that or Trailer Guy got me all hot and bothered for nothing, and I pitched a tent while watching this, and it didn't even deserve it. And some news about the trailer, it set the record for most online views in a single day. It got 197 million views in a 24-hour period. The second trailer for Spider-Man Homecoming came out the day I was done editing last week's podcast. So that's why it wasn't part of episode 36. But did you see it and how great it looks? Oh my god, this is going to be the comic book movie to watch out for. If you offered me both Infinity War movies right now or Spider-Man Homecoming, I would pick Spider-Man Homecoming. Spider-Man has always been one of my favorite comic book heroes. He's my favorite Marvel comic book hero. And even the worst movies, aka Spider-Man 3, wasn't that bad. I mean, it was terrible, but it was good in a tongue-in-cheek sort of way. The Mummy got a new trailer. This is the Tom Cruise movie, of course. No, we're not getting Internet's favorite actor, Brendan Fraser, back anytime soon. This new trailer has a lot of scenes from the old trailers with just a couple new ones spliced in. So if this movie interests you at all, maybe check the new one out just to get a little more information. Other than that, it's a lot of the same stuff. Annabelle 2, a.k.a. Annabelle Creation, got a new trailer. This one shows a little more of the story compared to the teaser trailers which came out before. And it's looking really good. Though I wonder if the lawsuit I mentioned in the news will affect this movie at all. This movie has the director for Lights Out and the writer of It involved in it. So that's going to be interesting. Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales got a new TV spot. And I actually want to see this one. The last Pirates of the Caribbean movie didn't interest me at all. And I never ended up seeing it. But this one it caught my attention. 
And to wrap up the segment, I just want to mention if any of you remember, or when you were kids, if you read the book Ferdinand the Bull, that is getting a movie. Uh, it doesn't look that bad. It's a kid's movie, animated, of course. Check it out if you remember the book or want to trip down memory lane. I don't remember a lot of what they talked about in the trailer, so I may have to reread the book just for and giggles. But my friends, that is it for Blazing Trailers. Let's get on with the first movie of the week, which is called The Case for Christ. This is based on the true story of reporter Lee Strobel and how he set out trying to disprove the existence of God after his wife becomes a Christian. This stars Mike Vogel from The Help, Erica Christensen from Parenthood, Faye Dunaway from the classic Chinatown, and Robert Forrester from Lucky Number Slevin. First of all, I want to point out what a dickhead this guy must have been. My wife became a Christian. I'm going to go out and prove her wrong. I'm a gigantic piece of All right, so some Christian movie writers saw Spotlight and thought, I know, I know the story about a reporter who found God while trying to disprove his existence. Let's make a Christian version of Spotlight. But, you know, without the molestation. All right, this movie doesn't look as bad as other Christian, big Christian movies like God's Not Dead or The Shack. This looks like it can be taken as a serious movie, but I'm still weary about it. As I've said before, I'm a Christian, but I don't like these movies that pander to the Christian audiences. You can have a positive message about the grace of God or his miracles or his undying love without being so heavy-handed about it. In fact, I even think it'd be better if you made a movie that wasn't so heavy-handed about it, so that way non-religious people can see it, see a positive movie, get a positive experience from it, and these could be people who would normally be chased away from a movie that had such heavy Christian themes. This movie doesn't have any A-list names in it, and I haven't seen a trailer anywhere for this outside of my research, Uh, Faye Dunaway may have been an A-lister at one time, and Robert Forster is a great character actor, but they're not enough to make me think this could be a big movie. So if you want to see this, you may have to do some traveling, or maybe hope a local megachurch will pick it up. This is a skippable movie unless you really need some positive religious affirmation and you don't like going to church. The Case for Christ gets a 4 out of 11. Alright, friends, next up is a documentary. Yay! A documentary. The first of two this week. This one is called SHOT! The Psycho-Spiritual Mantra of Rock. This is a documentary about the work of photographer Mick Rock as he goes through the history of rock and roll through his photos. Okay, what what kind of douchebag names himself Mick Rock? Okay, I better look, look this up really quick and make sure that's not his real name. Let's see. I actually can't find anything about if this is his real name or not. So if it is your real name, Mr. McRock, I am sorry. I truly apologize. But if it's not, you are a gigantic hat. Like a huge hat. But finally, a movie my dad might like. It's about time. But seriously, you know the deal with documentaries. If it's a topic you're interested in, then it's your jam. If it's not a topic you fancy, then you should watch something else. Anything else. That's why the BBC Planet Earth and Planet Earth 2 did so well. Who doesn't love animals? Raise your climate change denying, nature hating hands. Let's see ya. But for this movie, if you're a serious fan of old rock and roll, like a serious fan, like more than just listen to music, but reading biographies, watching YouTube videos of live concerts, or if you're old enough, actually having having gone to those concerts, or you have an impressive vinyl collection without being a dirty hipster, then this is the movie for you. If not, you skip this. 
You look up the photos online if you fancy, but skip the movie. The trailer didn't make this documentary look good enough to do anything to change my mind. Sure, it's an interesting topic. He dealt with rock and roll stars like David Bowie and Iggy Pop, and that's amazing. But for this movie, it just doesn't look interesting enough to put my butt in the seat. This is shot and presented like some old TV show with the mindset of old rock kept in mind. So if that's your sh then you need to see this. Shot. The psycho-spiritual mantra of rock gets a 3 out of 11. Alright, next up, my friends, is a movie called The Void. A police officer finds a man bloodied and limping down the road. He brings the injured man to the nearest hospital, but shortly after, hooded figures surround the building and the people inside start to turn crazy on each other. The officer tries to protect the survivors by taking them deeper into the old hospital, but finding a gateway to evil. <laughs> like, oh sh What's this doing down here? I thought this was a basement, but it turns out to be a hellmouth. Oh no. <laughs> Alright, this is a hardcore C-list movie, maybe even D-list. This movie stars Alan Wong, who played Knives Chow from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and Kenneth Welsh, who had a small role in The Aviator. This looks like a straight-to-DVD goldmine. You know, one of those movies you find on Super Sale somewhere and buy it on a whim, and you watch it, and you're like, this was actually pretty good. This was well worth the $5, but no more. I wouldn't have paid 6 for this. Check out the trailer, take a look at the poster, and you'll agree with me that this looks like it was inspired by the Cthulhu Mythos, a cult, an evil that makes hell look like Club Med, and tentacle monsters. So this was either inspired by Cthulhu or Japanese porn. When will Senpai notice me? To get an idea for this trailer, imagine the mist in Event Horizon had a baby. A terrifying baby. That's why I'm excited for this. But this isn't going to be a great movie, and it's going to sink in theaters worse than an atheist documentary in the Bible Belt. But this movie isn't for theaters at all. This is to watch at home. The Void gets a 6 out of 11. Alright, speaking about small-time whores, let's talk about the next movie called Gorenos. Miles is haunted by a supernatural entity in the wake of his 18th birthday. You know when there's a movie that had a good budget or has a moderately well-off production company behind it, and when it looks bad or cheesy, I compare it to student films? Again, not to put down student films, but it's more of a commentary on the quality of the movie. Well, this movie actually looks like it was a student film. This is a small-budget indie horror, but indie in the true sense, not forced indie where it's made by some artsy type hipster, but indie in the sense that they didn't have a lot of money, there are no big names. The biggest name is Ken Sagos, who was Kincaid in Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4. That is the biggest name. Remember, that's not a bad thing. You don't need big names to make a good movie. You need good acting, you need good writing, you need a lot of good things, but it doesn't rely on famous people. Speaking of relying, I rely on IMDb as one of my sources for all the movies coming out, but what pisses me off the most is other users, the people who leave ratings. We all know that YouTube comment section is notorious for being full of garbage, but IMDb isn't safe from this either. 155 people have voted on this movie, a movie that's only release date is this week. So there haven't been film festivals that people could have seen this in, like a lot of other smaller indie movies. So I recorded this on April 2nd, and as I recorded it, the movie hadn't been released yet, and those 155 people have reviewed it. 
So how can they have reviewed a movie that hasn't been released yet? Okay, yes, there are going to be test screenings and whatnot, but I don't believe at all that out of all the people who might have been invited to a test screening or an early showing, that 155 of them, A, had an account on IMDb, and B, decided to rate this movie. No, this is idiot people giving a movie a rating before they've even seen it. That's why I don't trust no matter how much I rely on IMDb for the information of actors and their history and release dates, that's why I don't trust the rating system because of internet morons. Alright, back to this movie. This could be entertaining, but it didn't look interesting enough to warrant any effort to see it. If I forget about this the moment I post this podcast, then nothing will have been lost in my life. But you know what? It's like Somewhat Nerdy's own Roz says, Roz from Roz's Midnight Macabre, he says that small movies like this are great because you'll never know when you'll find the next great horror film. But unfortunately, to find that, you have to weed through a lot of garbage. Granos looks like it lives somewhere between a good horror movie and garbage. It just doesn't look interesting. I still think we should support movies like this in, in some way. Even if you don't, you're not interested in seeing it, we should find some way to support it because this, like Roz says, is how we find the next big thing. Or one way, of course, because The Conjuring was a hit and spawned a whole bunch of movies, but that was still a big budget, big budget movie. Smaller movies like this should be made more accessible for us to watch. Then maybe these smaller movies would get more love. The way it is now, with us relying on theaters or buying it to see them, it's just not worth it. Gorenos gets a 5 out of 11. My god, this is going to be a long episode. Alright, pre-editing. There, there's a lot of dead air with me trying to catch my thoughts, so I'm going to cut that out, of course. But pre-editing, I'm only 5 movies in. The next movie will be the 5th, of course. 5 movies into this episode, I have 16. I'm at the 20-minute mark. So, um, stay with me, folks. I'll get to the good stuff. <laughs> Alright, the next movie up is called... The Assignment. Frank Kitchen is an assassin who wakes up after undergoing gender reassignment surgery, against his will. He finds out that the surgery was a punishment doled out by the wife of one of his victims, and he goes on the hunt to find her. This stars Michelle Rodriguez from the Fast and the Furious franchise, Sigourney Weaver from the Alien franchise, Tony Shalhoub from Monk, and Anthony LaPiglia from Without a Trace. There was a line in the trailer that said, if there's anything left of Frank Kitchen, it's his point-blank aim. Ooh, big f deal. There's nothing impressive with being able to aim at point-blank range. And by the way, you can still aim at point-blank range and miss. God, the writers for this movie are f***ing stupid. I don't even know how this movie is made. It's a revenge-themed action movie that uses a hot-button topic as a main part of the plot. Sure, I can understand why being given a gender reassignment surgery against your will is a punishment, but easily offended social justice warriors won't see it that way. So why make such an issue a part of your plot? In fact, a key part of your plot. They could have done the same thing with a brain swap and have it be just as far-fetched and not have the chance of offending any easily offended social justice warriors. One of the other things that bothers me is the fact that was the assassin, this Frank Kitchen, a short, half-Puerto Rican with a tiny frame? If not, then I don't think the writers of this movie understand what gender reassignment surgery is and how it actually works. Alright, let's step off this topic for a bit. With or without the reassignment aspect, this movie still looks mediocre. It looks like a throwaway action movie that these people uh, that Michelle Rodriguez and Sigourney Weaver did for the money alone. This is a garbage 
action movie that just happened to get some decent actors in it, but will flop in the theaters and it will have no post-theater life. This is a skippable movie if I've ever seen one. The Assignment gets a 1 out of 11. Alright, feature fans, let's keep this a movie train a-rollin' with a movie called Mine. A soldier finds himself trapped in the desert after failing an assassination mission. As he was crossing the desert with his partner to get to the extraction point, his partner gets blown up by a landmine, and the soldier finds himself trapped because he, too, stepped on one, and he can't move. This one stars Army Hammer from The Man from Uncle. This feels like Behind Enemy Lines and Buried had a baby. This whole film is going to rely on Army Hammer just like Buried relied solely on Ryan Reynolds. This picked a really weird time to come out. This is the spring movie season, which some consider to be the beginning of summer blockbuster season. And it's weird because after Critter said this on the Watch Your Mouth podcast, I read an article about it that uh, Variety or Screen Rant or one of those one of those movie-centered art magazines did. So good job, buddy. You predicted the f- future. But anyway, this is the beginning of the summer blockbuster season. So why now? Why, when this movie is going to be destroyed by everything that's already come out and everything that's going to come out in the next few weeks? As you will see, or hear, (laughs) as you will hear through the rest of this episode, even though there are 16 movies coming out this week, this is kind of a low-key week for movies with only a couple big things coming out. But still, even though there's nothing huge this week, it is still between two weeks with big movies coming out. Last week, Boss Baby and Ghost in the Shell. Even though Ghost in the Shell didn't do very well, still was supposedly going to be a big movie. Next week, Fate of the Furious. If anyone goes to the movies this weekend, they are going to see movies that they have missed that have already come out. Though you, my dear future fans, you, of course, are all caught up with the movies, right? Just like me, because I... I I go to the movies every week. It's not like I've missed, you know, three weeks of movies. <laughs> I totally have. But anyway, let's get on with this. Of course, remember, the theater isn't the end-all, beat-all when it comes to movie profit. Like I've said before, even in this very podcast, the new world of digital releases and streaming gives movies, which never had a chance in theaters, a chance to make some money back. And maybe that's what they're relying on. This was written and directed by Fabio Guaglione and Fabio Resinaro. I think that's how you say it. I, I didn't bother to look this up. Unproven writers and directors, I might add. I might add. So that was going to be a big gamble for any studio. So I think it helped that there's really only one actor with notable screen time so they could use most of their casting budget on someone recognizable. This could be a perfectly fine movie. There were scenes of Army Hammer stuck in the desert with his foot on the mine and a huge sandstorm comes in. And they show him running out of water and beginning to hallucinate. And I'm pretty sure they showed a bit of the ending, or at least the climax. But not enough for me to be sure. The good thing is that since he's hallucinating, they could have been showing anything from one of his visions. So this could be safe from spoilers. But this doesn't seem like your typical war movie. This is a survival drama. And sure, he's in military fatigues, has a weapon, yada yada yada, but this doesn't have the other telltale signs of a military movie. The focus is going to be on survival, like if he stripped the battle scenes out of Black Hawk Down. This is worth giving a shot, but only later. It's not worth a theater trip. Mine gets a 6 out of 11. My friends, the next movie, because we're not at the break yet, the next movie is called The Ticket. A blind man gets his sight back and finds that he's becoming obsessed with superficial things. 
things he couldn't see before. This stars Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey, Malin Ackerman from Watchmen, Carrie Biche, or Bichet, not sure which, from Halt and Catch Fire, and Oliver Platt from Chicago Med. But I'll always know him from Lake Placid. This is an interesting idea. A blind man that gets his sight back and we find out that he's actually shallow ass hat. Remember that movie At First Sight with Val Kilmer and Mira Sorvino? Val Kilmer just happened to be a decent human being. So when he got his sight back, he didn't become a dickhead. Dan Stevens' character, though, becomes obsessed with looks, and, okay, I guess it makes sense. It's something he's not used to. My problem is with the casting of Malin Ackerman and Carrie Bichet. I'm not sure who, but one of them plays a wife and the other plays the girl he wants to f Both of them are beautiful. I believe Ackerman plays a wife and he wants to leave her for Bichet, but are you kidding me? This is going to be a heavy, character-driven drama, and will follow James... Dan Stevens' character as he goes deeper and deeper into the hole that he's digging for himself. This movie is going to make quite a few people angry and others uncomfortable as we follow this person once he get his sight back and follow him through his changes. This doesn't look like the kind of film that's based on him learning a lesson. I didn't get the feeling that he's going to wind up losing his wife, realizing the mistake he made, and chasing after her with promises of changing. This is going to be a movie that's going to end poorly for everyone involved. There's a scene in the trailer where he's preaching in front of a church crowd, and I like that it's an unfortunately realistic juxtaposition of either being a preacher or just speaking in front of the church, and then him attempting to or even succeeding in being unfaithful to his wife. If you like the slow drama, then this could be a movie for you. If not, then pass on this. The Ticket gets a 5 out of 11. And finally, my friends, at the 30-minute pre-editing mark, we have the final movie in the first half, and that's Aftermath. Roman loses his wife and daughter in a plane crash. The air traffic controller responsible for the accident is sent into hiding to keep him safe. Roman starts a search for the man responsible for killing his family. This stars Arnold Schwarzenegger in what looks like should be a straight-to-video movie. It has a good premise that could really be interesting, but the way the trailer is presenting it makes it look mediocre at best. It says it's based off true events, but I think that was mainly used as advertisement purposes. The writer probably heard about some story that had a similar premise and decided to turn it into a movie, but changed everything else about it. There's something I've never understood, and I think it's overused in cinema where someone loses their family or a loved one and are devastated by it and they really need the person responsible to see the picture of their loved ones. Why though? Sure, maybe I can't understand this because I have never lost anyone under circumstances like that. I have lost a few people really, really important to me, unfortunately, but not in circumstances like that where there is someone I can point the finger at and go, you, it was you. But even if they died under those circumstances, I'm not sure if I would need to chase after this person and go, look, here's their picture. Like, what are these characters hoping? And if this happens in real life, I really wonder, tr I truly wonder why these people need this to happen. Like, are they wondering... If that, if the person who did the wrong sees a picture, they'll suddenly be hit with his need to confess or apologize? Or did shows like Law & Order just make this popular so now every show or movie with a tragedy has to have this in it? This is going to be yet another heavy movie this week, and though I haven't said it yet, most of these movies are going to be very limited releases. So if you're lucky enough to live in a city with a plethora of theaters, then maybe this one will show somewhere near you. But other than that, 
good luck finding it. I do have to say that I hand it to Arnold Schwarzenegger. It looks like he's pulling out all the acting stops in this movie. The fact that he's getting to flex his acting muscles could be thanks to this being in a being a small time movie that they're not holding their breath at making a lot of money so they're just going to let him try new things so they're doing that instead of trying to make some sort of crowd pleasing spectacle so mine basically just stars army hammer and this movie though it has a lot of other people in it is mainly an arnold movie this is definitely worth a watch despite me saying it looks like a straight to dvd movie and being mediocre but with the price of movie tickets i don't think it's worth a watch in theaters i think you should give it a try just to see arnold do his thing and check this out on streaming aftermath gets a 6.5 out of 11. all right my friends that's it so let's go into our commercial break and that commercial of course is from our friends at Somewhat Nerdy Radio. Imagine yourself on a journey with the Somewhat Nerdy Radio podcast crew as we travel through forgotten realms and far-off galaxies. Your captains, the sensational Snarf Chris and the cunning Critter, constantly face an element of danger. Welcome to the Somewhat Nerdy Radio Podcast. The bright light in the podcast sphere. Download and subscribe Somewhat Nerdy Radio today on iTunes and SoundCloud or stream it at somewhatnerdy.com. Good journey, nerds. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to Future Flex with Billiam, episode 37. Let's get started with the second half with a movie called Salt and Fire. Two scientists are set to investigate an ecological disaster. They're kidnapped by the CEO of the company held responsible, but when a supervolcano begins to show signs of erupting, they must join forces to survive. This stars Michael Shannon from Man of Steel, Veronica Ferris from Hector in the Search for Happiness, and Gail Garcia Bernal from Mozart in the Jungle. This is a Werner or Werner, Werner or Werner Herzog film, whichever. You know, one of those directors who's critically claimed, but hardly anyone besides serious movie buffs can name anything he's done. Artsy types love him, and that's really it. He's the type of director that throws his name on everything, a lot like the guy who did Neon Demon, Nicholas Winding Refn. I think that was his name. Okay, but anyway, this movie looks like it once had promise, but then it was lost to an artsy director. Watch a trailer for this and then tell me, if I hadn't told you the premise, if you didn't hear it here, would you have gathered any of that from the trailer alone? I watched a trailer, had no idea what was going on, had to look this up actually on Wikipedia to get a better idea for the trailer because the IMDb synopsis was a little lacking. So I had to use two sources other than the trailer to figure out what this movie was about. And that is stupid. You can tell if it's going to be an artsy indie film from the trailer alone, and that's because indie trailers make no sense. So I watch a trailer when making my notes. I went to the bathroom and when I came back, I had to rewatch it because I forgot everything. That's how boring and mindless the trailer was. What's really weird is that the posters make it look like it's going to be some bug big budget action flick. Take a look at it. Check out the style. It looks like Michael Shannon is a good guy, staring off into the distance. Veronica Ferris is his second command, and maybe even his lover. And Gail Garcia Bernal is the bad guy, and he's standing, glaring off in the distance near an active volcano. But instead, the trailer gave us indie bullshit. I am disappointed. This could have been a really good movie. It could have, it could still be a good movie, but so far all signs point to this being garbage. Salt and Fire gets a 3 out of 11. 
Next up, future fans, is a documentary called Alive and Kicking. This is a documentary about the culture of swing dancing. Finally, The Rock has... Uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm thinking of something else. Finally, a documentary I might actually watch. Swing dancing has always interested me, but I'm a klutz, and if I danced, I could be considered a natural disaster. The only dancing I do is just bouncing up and down once I have enough drinks in me. My fiancé and I have been wanting to take dance classes, and this trailer just made me want to do it more. Interesting note, one of the production companies in charge of this picture was Bloomhouse Productions. You know, the company behind a lot of those modern horror movies like Insidious and Sinister. Well, guess what? They're adding dancing to their repertoire. This looks fun and exciting, and it places a spotlight on some amazing dancers. But I have a concern. A part of the IMDb synopsis said, this, said that this documentary is an insider's view into the culture of the current swing dance world. Okay, that's, that's okay, right? But wait for it. While shedding light on issues facing modern society. Right, I sure hope those issues are dance related. Otherwise, this movie just lost a whole lot of respect from me. If I watch a documentary about dancing, I want to see a f documentary about dancing. Not some documentary that may have some hidden political agenda. Just show me dancing for f sake. Don't have someone dance and go, oh, by the way, I hate Trump. Yada da, yada da, da 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 da. No, I don't want to hear that. Interesting note, there's something I learned while doing this research. Thanks to an article from the New York Times written by Tom Roston titled, You Say True Life, I Say Scripted, documentaries with voiceovers have writers, of course, because the actors need something to say, but documentaries without them have writing credits still because of the Writers Guild. If a production company is registered with the Writers Guild, then they need writing credits. So sometimes documentaries will give someone a writing credit even if they did no writing. The Writing Guild, in their defense, said that when a documentary asks questions, someone had to write those questions. So look, more political b in the movie industry. Yay. All right, let's, let's end this, though. This is an interesting documentary, but interesting to me. If you're not interested enough in swing dancing, then you won't see this. So my interest level in this case is just for me. Alive and Swinging gets a 6 out of 11. The next movie is something I should have done this year, but didn't. It's called Graduation. <laughs> that joke made me sad. All right. Eliza is going to escape her dangerous small town by going to school in the UK. That is, until she's almost assaulted one night and loses her focus on her final exams, threatening her future. Her father finds himself on a quest to help his daughter, no matter the cost. Okay, maybe that was a poorly timed joke. Making a joke, and by the way, a girl was almost assaulted. Yeah. Alright, timing. That's timing here at Future Flix, friends. This is a Romanian movie that looks darker than Darth Vader's laundry basket. The thing with a movie like this is that it's entirely plausible. The whole thing. The whole thing. A girl growing up in a dangerous neighborhood. That girl getting attacked and now being unable to focus on anything else because she's too scared. And the father who just wants more for his child and is helpless to do anything. The acting in this looks great. So if you're a fan of foreign films, then maybe this is for you. If not, then you already know that you should pass on this. This is going to be a heavy movie. That's going to be disturbingly realistic. I could say more, but what else can I really say? I could go on and on about this movie, about the pros and the cons, but I don't think there's enough in the pros section for me to convince anyone to see it. I do think the pros outweigh the cons. I do think this is going to be a good movie, but for a movie like this, for me to 
truly believe or truly try to convince you to see it, there has to be more. And there isn't. As good as the acting looks, as brutal and as honest as the plot is, this doesn't interest me enough to put this higher up closer to my pick. Graduation gets a 6 out of 11. And now let's hit a movie on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. That movie is called Smurfs, The Lost Village. It's an all-new take on the Smurfs. Smurfette, Brainy, and Clumsy go on an adventure and end up discovering another group of Smurfs, learning that they're not alone after all. This stars the voices of quite a few people, so hang on. Demi Lovato, who's a singer. Danny Pudi from Community. Ariel Winter from Modern Family. Joe Magliano from True Blood. Michelle Rodriguez in her second movie this week from Resident Evil. Julia Roberts from Aaron Brockovich. Ellie Kemper from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Mandy Patinkin from Homeland, and Rain Wilson from The Office. And there are more, much more, but I just picked the top ones. So if you're interested, Google it. Because we're running out of time. Alright, God help me, this one actually looks good. Unlike the live-action Smurf movie, which not even Neil Patrick Harris and Hank Azaria could save, this is where the Smurfs belong. Fully animated, not a Who Framed Roger Rabbit-esque mix of live action and animation. And these Smurfs actually look like Smurfs, unlike the ones from 2011, which look like blue anorexic gerbils. I really like the fact that this goes back to the Smurfs' roots. Sure, they're modernizing in a bit by adding Smurf boarding, but at least they're not giving them tiny cell phones and having them send pics via Smurf chat. The live-action movies tried too hard to be current and lost what made Smurfs entertaining. Unlike most of the movies this week, I've actually seen this one advertised on TV, and you know what? I've laughed every time. Dumb jokes? Sure, but I've laughed, and that's what's important. Last week's Boss Baby never made me crack a smile once during the trailer, and for some reason it blew up in the box office, so we'll see how Smurfs does, because this one actually looks entertaining. It looks perfect for children, but has just enough going for it to keep an adult entertained. So if you take your kids to see this, if you have children, you take them to the theater, you will probably not. In fact, I almost, I guarantee you will not be bored. Or at least there will be enough jokes to keep you, to keep you interested. This is going to harken back to a lot of our childhoods, especially if you're anywhere from like, let's say 25 to 35, somewhere in that range. I still remember watching the Smurfs as a child. So for certain adults, this could be a nostalgic movie. But at the end of the day, this is a basic animated movie. It's going to be entertaining and maybe even memorable, but it's not going to be great. If you want to see a light-hearted movie, or if you have children that you want to take to the movies, then this is for you. Smurfs The Lost Village gets a 7.5 out of 11. Yes, yes, my friends. Yes, my future fans. We're still going. The next movie is one you may have seen a trailer for, and that's Going in Style. Three old friends lose their pensions and must find a way to pay the bills. They decide to rob a bank, the same bank that caused them the loss of their pensions. This stars God himself, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine from The Dark Knight Rises, Alan Arkin from Little Miss Sunshine, and Doc Brown, that's right, Christopher Lloyd, and finally, Matt Dillon from Wayward Pines. This was directed by Zach Braff of Scrubs fame, and this is actually a remake based on a movie from 1979 starring the legend George Burns. This time the script was written by Theodore Melfi, who wrote Hidden Figures in St. Vincent. Right, this is going to be entertaining and good for a laugh, but just like a lot of other movies coming out this week, this isn't a theater movie. This is the movie you watch when you're bored at home one day and find it on Netflix. 
This is actually something my grandpa would have liked to see. When he wanted to see a movie, it was either the next big Oscar movie or some random ass comedy. I remember one time he told me that him and grandma, they, they had gone out to the movies to see Joy Luck Club or some movie. I forgot what I forgot what it was, but some critically acclaimed movie. And he said, but they they were sold out. So he saw Mrs. Doubtfire instead. It's like, okay, grandpa, that that's interesting. You know, where he's still around today, I could have convinced him to see this. It would have been fun. But there's something that leaves me scratching my head. And what leaves me scratching my head is why pick this movie to be remade? I don't get it. Whose idea was it? This movie is full of reliable people from the acting to the directing and the writing. This has everything going for it, but it still fails to get me pumped. My best friend AJ wants to see it only because of Zach Braff. The man loves anything that has any connection to Scrubs. But for me, don't get me wrong, I love Scrubs. But that's not enough to lure me in. The trailer looks funny, and I bet you the film is full of laughs, but that's it. I bet you that I'll end up watching this in a year or two down the line, and I, I will even like it. But I won't feel bad at all for having missed it in theaters. I think that's exactly the way you, my future fans, should look at it too. Going in style gets a 7 out of 11, and should be enjoyed at home. Alright, we have three movies left. Oh my god, we're coming to an end. Three movies left. I love doing this show, but I'm tired. But let's finish this up with a movie. Or start to finish this up with a movie called Gifted. Frank is raising his sister's daughter, but things get difficult when it's discovered that Mary is a child prodigy in math. Due to this finding, he's drawn into a custody battle with his mother, who wants to send the child away to study. This stars Chris Evans, Captain America himself, Octavia Spencer from Hidden Figures, Jenny Slate from Parks and Recreations, Lindsay Duncan from About Time, and McKenna Grace from Designated Survivor. Fun fact, Octavia Spencer and Jenny Slate both did voices in the movie Zootopia. Spencer was Mrs. Otterton and Slate was Bellwether. So there you go. This is the first movie on the list that was in the running for being my pick of the week, but the other movies just beat it out. This is a drama, but far more accessible than The Ticket or Salt and Fire. This is something that your average moviegoer would consider watching. They probably won't. This will get crushed, absolutely destroyed in theaters. But this is a movie that's worth a watch. Chris Evans is a talented actor, and it's easy to forget that when he's best known for comic book movies. Even though Captain America Civil War had some really good acting in it, people tend not to acknowledge the finer points of comic book movies or even action movies. There could be an Oscar-worthy performance in the next Fast and Furious movie. Okay, there won't be, but let's say there is. But no one is going to notice it. This was produced by Fox Searchlight, which is a sister company to Fox. This company focuses on indie and British films, but also dabbles in horror and art house films. So if you ever see their name on something, this is something that Fox thinks will do well enough to warrant them putting money into. So Fox Searchlight is kind of your layman's indie production company. This doesn't feel like an indie movie, though, for many reasons. But the biggest reason is that this movie seems like it's going to have a happy ending. At worst, it's going to be bittersweet. This isn't like an indie drama where you truly have no idea how it's going to go. A Gifted has the feeling of a Disney live-action family drama. You know, movies like The Rookie, that stars some famous actor and has a serious plot. Something serious, but at least a little relatable. It's going to be a feel-good movie disguised as a family drama. And this is going to be good, but not good enough to be my pick. 
Gifted gets an 8 out of 11. All right, folks, I have a confession to make. I actually have two picks this week because the movie that was my first pick is a little niche. So I figured I'd throw another one out just because the first one, actually, in fact, both of them won't have huge releases. So hopefully one of these will come your way. So my second place pick is Colossal. Gloria's boyfriend breaks up with her and and she loses her job. So she moves back home. She starts blacking out and finding herself unable to remember the night before. At about the same time, a gigantic monster appears in Korea and starts attacking cities. It's only after studying footage that she begins to think that she's the monster. This stars Anne Hathaway from The Intern, Jason Sudeikis from Masterminds, and Dan Stevens in his second movie this week from Downton Abbey. I've been hearing about this movie for a while now, but just mumbles here and there, and then suddenly the trailer dropped and it was a big deal, well, for movie buffs at least. Still, no one else seemed to know about it. Our movies talked about this for a while, and then it dropped off the face of the earth again. And a couple of my friends mentioned this, and then it dropped off the face of the earth with them. But for a while, people were talking about this. There was actually a lawsuit involved with this. Uh, the Tobo, or say the Toho company, the people behind Godzilla, sued the writer-director Nacho Vigalondo and Voltage Pictures for copyright infringement. They settled out of court when they came to agreement saying that Colossal will in no way use any images or the likeness of Godzilla. Alright, story time aside, this looks really good, but I'm sad to say it's going to get crushed just like every other movie this week. The good news for Colossal is that I believe that it's a low-budget movie, which means it won't be that hard to get its money back. Like I've said this episode, like I've said before, more and more movies are banking on the post-theater life, and so hopefully that's what these people will do. This looks like the weirdest combination of a movie about finding yourself and who you are post-breakup and a kaiju movie. And I love how stupid that sounds. I love that. But what I love more is that it looks like they pull it off. Because any idiot can take two ideas and just throw them together. Like, let's take let's take a robot uprising and a dance tournament movie. And let's put those together. Dancing robots. All right, I'm down. But I wouldn't be able to make it. Because you know what I am? I'm a writer. I know jack about making movies. I couldn't pull this off. But the people behind Colossal looks like they pulled it off. The main actors in this movie are good. It looks like the smaller time actors they grabbed for this film can work well with the big actors. It looks like this has good writing, funny writing, and it looks like they handle a giant monster terrorizing a city as tastefully as they can. So all signs are pointing to the fact that this may be a good movie. I honestly believe that if you can see this in theaters, that it's worth a watch. I think it will be better than anything that came out last week. But like I've said already in this podcast, if you miss this movie, I don't think you're really going to miss out. Only see this movie if you really want to see something new this week. And my true pick of the week doesn't sound interesting to you at all. Colossal gets an 8.5 out of 11. So, my friends, it is time for the pick of the week. And that movie is your name. Two strangers find themselves linked in a bizarre way. As they sleep, they switch places. When they learn of this connection, they will start on a journey to try and find out each other's names. This is an anime, and it's it was one of the biggest animes of last year. In fact, it took the place of Princess Mononoke. It bumped it down one spot in Japan's highest grossing movies of all time. It was one of the highest grossing movies in China 
last year. And China hates Japan. So that must mean it's pretty good. This movie has been huge. It's blown up everywhere. It's gone. And why do I think there's a chance you, my future fans, may see this even if you're not an anime fan? It's because every once in a while a movie comes out that even non-anime fans would see and will like. Most of the time it's a Hayao Miyazaki film. Like I mentioned in the news, Hayao Miyazaki has done some classic movies and honest to God works of art. But there are other movies that come out that a lot of people have seen that are famous, but of course not as famous as a mainstream American movie. Some other movies like that are The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Summer Wars, or Wolf Children. All movies you should definitely watch if you haven't seen them, especially Summer Wars. It, it is an amazing movie with a, with a great story that, that made me care so deeply about these animated people. I cared more about the, the characters in Summer Wars than I did about a lot of the characters in a lot of movies I see. I really think anime gets a bad rap. Because when people think of anime, they think of the real etchy stuff like like harem anime, like Love Hina or Nagima and things like that. Or the shonen ones like Bleach, Naruto, One Piece, Dragon Ball Z. Anime has to be viewed just like any other form of media where there's a lot of stuff there. It's like saying all movies are like the Fast and the Furious, just mindless action films. That's just as ridiculous as people who write off anime because of a couple of things they saw that they didn't like. I hope a lot of people give your name a chance because it looks amazing. Watch the trailer. I really hope, I really hope, my future fans, that you are the type of people that can stand watching a movie with subtitles because it will be worth your time. Either that or I hope Funimation, who is bringing this to America, can find good voice actors because it's really easy it is really easy to ruin a great anime by getting the wrong voice actors four kids tv is notorious for doing that this movie is a slice of life movie which is one of my favorite genres of anime a slice of life movie is one with a plot well the plot can be anything it'd be a romance drama action but well maybe not action but it takes place in reality. Okay, of course not reality because it's a damn cartoon, all right? But it takes place in, like, Tokyo. It takes place in a real place, or at least is full of elements that are real. This story, it's kind of like a Freaky Friday thing where they're switching places, but not all the time. And so they're going back and forth. It seems like the characters are not really happy where they are. The girl lives out in the country, in the, like, Japan's boonies and she wants to live in Tokyo with an exciting life and the boy lives in Tokyo and he's like oh I have to after I go to high school I have to go work and work at my job I can't hang out he's like oh I just wish I lived in the country where everything was more simple so they that's their connection as the movie progresses they just grow closer and closer as they find ways of communicating the good thing about this movie is the, and what makes it so accessible is the character design. So there's no chibi characters. There's no lowly characters. There's everyone looks like they could easily find a real life actor to take their place without a whole lot of makeup or anything. And there's no super fight scenes where it takes them like three episodes to power up just to fight the enemy. There's no there's no big perverted character or scantily clad women. This is just a drama. And this looks like a movie that I think a lot of people, even non-anime fans, will like. And that is why it's my pick. I have been excited for this movie since it came out. 
and I've been waiting to see it. I could have I could have tried to pirate it, but this movie I really wanted to support in theaters and I really wanted to see it on the big screen. So that is why it is my pick of the week. And your name gets an 11 out of 11. That's right. It got a perfect score. Well, my friends, this is could this actually could be the longest episode ever. I'm running it about an hour and five minutes pre-editing so it'll probably be i'll probably chop that down a bit maybe 45 46 minutes maybe not the longest episode but this is going to be a big one so thank you for staying with me always always thank you for listening your support means everything i count my lucky stars that people actually listen to this if you found me through the somewhat nerdy podcast if you found me through any like the somewhat nerdy website or the watch your mouth podcast thank you very much for coming over to me and listening to what I have to say. And there's something the Watch Your Mouth guys, or Ken from Watch Your Mouth, specifically said I could use on the podcast, but I didn't find a good place for it. So I'm just going to say it. Ken, this is for you. Buffalo. It is time, my friends, to end the show. You can find me on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Tumblr, and any podcast listening app, as well as the Somewhat Nerdy website. That's somewhatnerdy.com. I'd really appreciate it if you take a few minutes out of your day to give this podcast a rating. If you're on iTunes, I would love five stars. And if you're on any other platform, I'd like I'd enjoy a like or a thumbs up or whatever whatever the platform allows you. Please share the podcast with your friends. Let's grow the listener base. We're growing slowly. But surely, please leave me a comment. Tell me what you liked. Tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me when, what I need to improve on. Did you agree with me on some of the movies? Did you not agree with me? Let me know. I'd love to talk to you. How do you reach me? Well, that's a great question. Leave a comment for me on the Somewhat Nerdy website or Facebook page. Leave a comment on SoundCloud. Leave a comment on Tumblr, too. Hit me up on Twitter, at BilliamSWN. Email me at BilliamReviews at gmail.com. Are you on Instagram? So am I, Billiam SWN. Tumblr is Billiam SWN there as well, as well as Untapped. If you drink beer, you can follow me there. Be sure to check out the Somewhat Nerdy Radio and Nerds of the Square Circle podcasts also on the Somewhat Nerdy Podcast Network. Check out the Watch Your Mouth podcast, a fantastic swearity that's wrapping up their eighth season or eighth, eighth semester or seventh. They're coming up in episode 80, so it'll be 7th semester. I'm sorry, guys. Don't forget to check out the Somewhat Nerdy site for all of our latest blogs and news. And finally, my dear friends, my dear, dear listeners, my future fans, please remember that no matter where life takes you, no matter what your week has in store, just take some time to catch a flick. I'm Billiam from Somewhat Nerdy, signing off. I'll see you in the future.